Welcome to First Baptist Church. You're listening to the preaching ministry of Pastor Sherman Burkhead. Please check us out on the internet at fbcboron.org. Isaiah 55. By the way, in my Bible, it's titled The Compassion of the Lord. I think that's kind of important. It says, Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And he who has no money, come, buy, and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen diligently to me and eat what is good and delight yourselves in rich food. Incline your ear and come to me here that your soul may live. And I will make with you an everlasting covenant, my steadfast, sure love for David. Behold, I made him a witness to the peoples, a leader and commander for the peoples. Behold, you shall call a nation that you do not know, and a nation that did not know you shall run to you because of the Lord your God and the Holy One of Israel, for he has glorified you. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there, but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater. So shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. For you shall go out with joy and be led forth with peace. And the mountains and the hills before you shall break forth into singing, and all the trees of the field shall clap their hands. Instead of the thorn shall come up the cypress, instead of the briar shall come up the myrtle. And it shall make a name for the Lord, an everlasting sign that shall not be cut off. So we're going to spend our most of our time this morning in verse 2. Um, I don't know how many of you were here actually the last time I taught which was verse one I think it was like back in April or May or something like that so it was a while and and oh by the way I'm going to sit because my back is kind of like a snake uh, three in, in three dimensions it goes every which way but straight I can walk but I cannot stand believe it or not uh, this is my kitchen stool I brought it from home because uh, I like to cook and so if I like to cook, you have to stand. And since I can't stand, I sit while I prep. And that's the way it goes. Okay, so, but it's been a while. And uh, I actually, if you can't remember what I talked about back then, then you were right with, in step with me because until I went back and re read my notes uh, a couple of weeks back, I didn't remember everything I talked about either. So there you go for that. But that, so that being the case, I thought it, maybe it would be prudent to spend just a couple of minutes revisiting verse 1. And verse 1 says, Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters, and he who has no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without price. So here, here in this first verse of Isaiah chapter 55, we find a very concise description of salvation. 
uh, Isaiah, who was a prophet to the nation of Israel 700 years before the virgin birth. He lived a perfectly, you know, and, and that perfectly lived Christ, uh, life of Christ, and then the sacrificially redemptive death of our Lord and Savior. Isaiah writes about that promise 700 years before it happened and 2,700 years before us here today. And that that promise has been totally life-altering, not just for me, but for most of you in here and for and for literally billions of people around the world today and literally probably billions of people that have gone before us. That, that promise that Isaiah wrote about 700 years before it happened is, are you guys can hear me, right? Because I see people tilting their heads. So um, that promise he wrote about back then, and, and it just amazes me. Here God is throughout the beginning of the Bible to the end of the Bible, and it's consistent throughout. And the life of Christ is everywhere from the very beginning page to the very last page in Revelation. And you can find him everywhere in it. And it doesn't take long to look, to look for that and see it. So we'll quickly break down verse 1. Um, hopefully we'll all remember what I remembered as I read it earlier. Um, so the first, the first sentence there says, Come everyone who thirsts. And today now we know that that's an invitation to come literally for everybody. Um, but to be able to do that, you have to come to the realization that you are actually thirsty, that you do have a need for a Savior. So if we look at, the, at in the context of that, People need to really understand that they do have a sin nature and that that sin nature will keep them from an eternal life to God. And then he says, come to the waters. And we also have to come to the waters. I, I spent some time looking at a lot of different things that, that water is represented in the word in the Bible in order to understand kind of what we were talking about in that verse, particularly here, though. We looked at what he wrote earlier in chapter 12, verse 3, where we read, with joy, you will draw water from the wells of salvation. So here we see that this theme throughout Isaiah, at least, is when he's talking about water, he's talking about salvation. And so that's what he's talking about here. Come, everybody who understands that you're thirsty, that you have a need, come to the water of salvation. And, and then, and then uh, so there, there's waters that are available. I talked about that a little bit last time too, and how, how much water there really is. Because it talks about there are wells of salvation there in chapter 12. More than one well, there's multiple wells. There's enough water for everybody. Um, and it, it also says there in chapter 12, verse 3, it says, with joy you draw from the wells of salvation. So that brings us, when we go to salvation, what do we get? We get joy comes along with that not happiness we don't get happiness we get joy so what's the difference well got a story have you ever seen the little kid all of you seen little kids at christmas right you go and they sit on the floor and you stack all these presents in front of them right and they start with the top one and they rip that sucker open right and they and they go ooh 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 ah ah or whatever they say and there's this squeal of just intense happiness, right? Then they see whatever it is that somebody has given them. And then they put that down and they go right to the next one. They don't take the time to, you know, they just rip these packages open one at a time and each one gets the same squeal of happiness. They're so happy that they get to open that. And later on though, what do you see? You see that same child. Now, are they playing with any of those well thought out, meaningful gifts? Probably not. 
what you'll find them doing is joyfully, joyfully taking all these boxes and making a castle or an airplane or something else. And then they take that and proudly show it to you. Look, look what I made. You know, it's not that those things don't have meaning, but they're fleeting. The happiness is good and it has a place in our lives. But oftentimes that happiness is just that. It's fleeting. It's momentary. And it can be gone in the blink of an eye. You might be happy driving down the road, but when that guy cuts you off, you're instantly not happy anymore. And, and, and that's about happiness. But joy, joy, especially that deep-rooted joy that comes from knowing Jesus as your Savior, can and will sustain you through times of tribulation. And, and that's what he's talking about here with joy. And Nehemiah, in, in the second half of Nehemiah, uh, chapter 8, verse 10. And you can write these down. You can go look them up for yourself later. I would recommend if you haven't ever read the book of Nehemiah, it's one of my absolute favorites. There is a lot, it talks about rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem and putting that city back on display again. And it's a metaphor for what God does with us and how he uses us as Christians. You know, he takes the broken pieces of us and puts them all back together and puts them on display for his glory. So, side note. Anyway, the second half of Nehemiah 8.10 says, And do not be grieved, for the joy of the Lord is our strength. I know most of you have probably heard that before. Habakkuk chapter 3, verses 17 through 19 says, Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit beyond the vines, the produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food, the flock be cut off from the field, and there be no herd in the stalls, yet... I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God, the Lord, is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on high places. God can and will keep you through those difficult times. And that is that joy that we have in him and that strength that we get from him. And then it says, he who has no money, come by and eat. Here is the reminder that nothing we have Nothing we are, nothing we can do can pay the, the price that's required to drink from the well of salvation. So come buy wine and milk without money and without price. We talked about whether price without price means priceless or free. And the answer to that question was, did anybody remember? It was actually both. Priceless means it's without price. What Jesus did for us is without price. None of us could pay for that. None of us could pay that price. But yet, it's also free. All we have to do is ask. All we have to do is believe. All we have to do is turn in repentance to him. And it's free. Salvation is free for all of us. And there is no way we could ever buy that. But it's great that it's free because that's the only price I know I could pay. I don't have any, I can't do it. And I doubt any of you could do that either. So it's a good thing that it's free to us, isn't it? And so that's, that's kind of a recap of verse 1 and where we were. So I want to move right, right into verse 2. And I know Les is hungry because he told me. And I told him that it was going to be short today because I only have seven or eight pages of notes and we're already through two of them. So off we go. Verse 2. It says, Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen diligently to me and eat what is good and delight yourselves in rich food. 
In this verse here, we see Isaiah chastising Israel for spending money and laboring for things that do not satisfy. The things he calls not bread. Here, he's saying that things which are not bread do not satisfy. So conversely, this would indicate to us the things that which are bread then must satisfy us, right? So that being said, what exactly are we talking about here when we talk about bread? And like water, bread has multiple meanings in the Bible. The word bread can mean a lot of things. I'm only going to give you a few here. Um, I challenge you, just go somewhere and say, what does bread mean in the Bible? And literally thousands of things will pop up and you can go read about bread in the Bible. It's very interesting. Um, but we're going to start with a few, a few of those things that I thought were kind of important. In Genesis 3, verses 17 through 19, it says, And to Adam, he said, being God, of course, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat of the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread, till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. And in here, I know I gave you the whole entire piece of it, but and it, uh, the part that's important here is we have bread in here. Adam is working we talked about labor in verse in chapter 55, verse 2. Adam, it's, God has said, you will labor for bread. And so bread here is actually used to be to represent that which physically sustains us, things like food and clothing and shelter. Um, the interesting thing here is that God tells Adam it's going to only be taint, obtained through pain and sweat. So whether you sit behind a desk all day, um, and I did for a long time, and trust me, I... There was pain and I sweated. I mean, there was things that there, it's a different kind of pain sitting behind a desk or whether you're out like Fernando here at the church every day working out in that 110 degree weather. God's promise to us is that there will be times and there will be days when you're sweating it out for your bread. And but yet that we need to do that because we need that bread. We need those things that physically sustain us. Genesis chapter 19, verses 1 through 3. This is a part of the story of Lot. The two angels came to Sodom in the evening, and Lot was sitting in the gate of Sodom. When Lot saw them, he rose to meet them and bowed himself with his face to the earth and said, My lords, please turn aside to your servant's house and spend the night and wash your feet. Then you may rise up early and go on your way. And they said, No. Nope. We'll spend the night in the town square. But he, Lot, he pressed them strongly. So they turned aside to him and entered his house. And he made them a feast and baked unleavened bread, and they ate. So Lot knew what happened to strangers in Sodom at night. It was not a pretty scene. And he was trying to protect these two from harm. So he takes them in, and in his hospitality, what does he do? He makes them a feast with the highlight of that feast being the only thing that's actually physically talked about, bread. Bread here is being used as a representation of our hospitality. It's still that way today. If my wife takes, makes a meal 
to take to someone. We did that earlier this week. Or she just wants to show them some love. Do you know what she does? She makes them muffins. I should have brought one. I got them in the refrigerator at home. They're really good muffins. Her muffins are so good. I eat them for dessert sometimes. Just butter and a muffin. They're really good. So if you want some, you know, talk to her. She'll probably make you muffins. But that's the way she shows her hospitality towards others. And that's what's being talked about here. Here, I mean, by the way, my daughter always makes cinnamon rolls for Christmas breakfast. Very good. And that's a tradition that has been passed on from her aunt. My wife's sister makes the best cinnamon rolls I ever ate. And she passed that recipe and that tradition on to my daughter, who now makes them for us every Christmas. And that's the thing here. Those things are to pass down that, that we, we get from other people the recipe for your sourdough bread or your muffins or your Christmas cinnamon rolls that shows hospitality. It shows love. When you do those things for other people, they know how you feel about them. I mean, so, I mean, bread in almost every culture is used for hospitality. And I want you to just think about that. I can name you tortillas, uh, non bread, pita pockets, Hawaiian sweet rolls, all these things. When you think about those things, you think about eating, you think about people being together, you think about the hospitality of someone who's showing you, you know, they, in, in my family, you, you make a pot of beans and pork and give me a tortilla with some butter and you're a happy camper. I'm, it's, it's that thing, that bread here is being used to represent our hospitality toward each other. And, and that is something we still do today. So we see hospitality we, and, and now we're going to see something about our Lord. Exodus 25, verse 30. And it says there very simply, and you shall set the bread of the presence, capital P, on the table before me regularly. And it's talking about the table of the presence of, uh, of the showbread in the temple of God. Okay, that's what he's talking about here. Here, bread is being used in that temple to represent God's presence. Interesting to note here is that they were to replace that bread regularly. In fact, it is still replaced once a week on the Sabbath, every week. The meaning here is that these people were not to let that presence of God become old or stale in their lives. So how many of us let the presence of God in our lives become stale? Do we take him for granted? Do we put him away in the closet like slippers and only take him out when our feet get cold? I'll raise my hand. Uh, there's times, and you don't have to raise your hands, but there's times in my life when I have let things get in the way of making God's sure presence in my life new and fresh. So you might say, well, I do what they did. I refresh God's presence every week. See, I'm sitting here right here right now every Sunday. I challenge you, is that really enough? Is it really enough in your present? Lamentations, chapter 3, verses 22 and 23. Let me give you the answer. The steadfast love of the Lord does what? Some of you know, you can quote it, never ceases, right? There's a song. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. 
So if God's mercies to you can be new every morning, don't you think that you can take the time to refresh his presence in your life a little more than once a week? So read the word, pray, keep his presence in your life new and fresh every single day. Make it a point to do that. He's faithful to renew his mercy to you every morning. Be faithful to renew his presence in your life every day. I'll give you a few more scriptures, and we're not going to go through these very, uh, we're going to go through these pretty quickly. Leviticus 14.9, there Joshua in his report to the people uses bread to symbolize the ability of Israel to fully conquer the enemy in the land of milk and honey. Read it. In Proverbs 9.5, Solomon uses the eating of his bread and the drinking of the wine as he mixed as a metaphor for the acceptance of wisdom, believe it or not. In 1 Corinthians 10, 16 and 17, Paul uses the cup and the bread to remind us that those of us who participate in communion are one body. We're in unity with each other. Verse 17 says, because there is one bread, we who are many are one body for we all partake of one bread. Bread is used to represent the unity of the believers, the acceptance of wisdom, to be able to fully conquer your enemy, your hospitality, God's presence, so many things in the Bible. One really important one, Exodus chapter 16. And most of you know this. The people, Israel, are fed with what's called bread from heaven, showing God's love and care. In John chapter 6, Jesus then explains what that manna is really all about. That it's talking about him. That he is the bread from heaven. John chapter 6, verses 29 through 35. Jesus answered them, This is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. So they said to him, What sign do you do? that we may see and believe you. What work do you perform? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus then said, truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my father gives the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world, meaning himself. They said to him, sir, Give us this bread always. And Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. And whoever believes in me shall never thirst. So I wasn't here last week. You guys took communion, right? Did you guys have communion last week? Those of you who were here. And so we talk, I'm, I'm sure because Sherman does it every time. He talks about what that bread represents, right? It represents his body, which what? Is, the, the verb there, is, not was, is broken for who? For all of us, right? And it means is is like continually, that it, it's happening to you today. His body is for you, fresh, new, today. Back again, renew the presence of God in your life every single day if you can. Do the best you can. Okay, so here we are in verse 2. We've talked about bread and the things that are bread 
or called the things that satisfy. These are the things of the Lord that we should spend our money and our labor on. That's what it's telling us here. By the way, what are the terms money and labor actually talking about? What are they referring to here? Well, for those of you who work still, haha, I don't. Sorry. <laughs> what is it? Sometimes I'm just that way. My mom said that. Um, what does it take to labor and earn money? Well, Carson will tell you it takes physical ability, knowledge, and experience, because that's what he's gaining right now playing football at high school, and hopefully he'll gain in college, and then later on, maybe he'll make a living at it. It takes physical ability to whatever your job is. There's some physical ability that it takes. Whatever your job is, there's some knowledge that it takes. And whatever your job is, there's probably some experience, even sweeping the floors. I mean, when I went into the Air Force, they told me, this is how you mop the floor. I'm like, it's a mop. You just go and, you know, no, you don't do it. There is a particular way, and, and Roy will verify this, you mop the floor a certain way. You sweep the floor a certain way. You shine the doorknobs a certain way. It takes some experience to learn those things. So what does it take to gain that physical ability, that knowledge, and that experience? And this is what we're talking about. It takes what? It takes time. Time. That's what he's talking about here is time. It takes time to pursue the things of God and that time is time well spent. Like the Jews in the temple, refresh the bread in the pres of the presence of God. Refresh yourself with the presence of God. So just how do we do that? I mean, I mean, that's a simple thing for me to say to you guys. Just go refresh the presence of God in your lives and you'll be fine. Uh, but the answer is right here in front of us. Isaiah gives us three things here in verse 2. First, he says to listen diligently. We want to refresh. We need to listen diligently. That word diligently can be easily translated carefully. So in order to listen carefully, we must have something to listen to. I have a really good idea here that what Isaiah is talking about that we need to listen carefully to is listen carefully to ourselves as we read the word of God. Okay. And I mean that read out loud the word of God. I read the word of God not out loud. And oftentimes I find my eyes closing and my I am asleep. The next thing you know, I read the word out loud, even if it's softly. I, I have this tendency to focus on what I'm trying to read. And I can listen carefully and I hear the words. So I'm reading them and I'm listening to them at the same exact time. Read carefully. Listen as you read that word of God. That's, your, that's called our daily bread, by the way. We're back to bread again. So guess what that takes to do that? It takes time. Time. Time and effort to labor diligently. Get a pen. Take notes. Read your notes out loud. I read my notes. I made my notes. I finished these notes for the first time on Tuesday. I read them again yesterday. I scribbled on them. And then last night, I went to a Bible study. And in the middle of that Bible study, God said, hey, you know, you can add this to your notes. I went home and said, I'm not going to write that there. I'll never get it right. I retyped my notes until about 1030 last night. 
and then reprinted them. And then this morning I got up and God said, don't forget these two things that are sitting here on the top. And I'm like, okay, I won't forget that. And it's because I read those things out loud. I could hear myself going, oh, you're missing something here. What is it you're missing? Go, go figure that out. Look it up. Study that. Add it in. Read the things that you write. It takes time. So what is that? When you read those things out loud, you can actually listen to God revealing his spirit to you. He, he will reveal things to you. God wants you to be satisfied. That's what it's saying here. That bread which satisfies. God wants you to be satisfied with the bread, with the things that you read, with the things that you study. But you have to be willing to put in the work to get that satisfaction. You just do. That's the way it is. And then it says we need to eat what is good. Now, we know the Bible is good because the Bible tells us the Bible is good. God tells us the Bible is good. Sherman tells me the Bible is good. Diana tells me the Bible is good. I kind of believe the Bible. And my dad said the Bible is good. He sat every morning with his morning cup of boiling hot coffee <laughs> and a Bible and read every single day. So there are other resources, though. Are they good? Well, there are literally millions of websites. In fact, just, just for fun, I typed in on my phone, I typed in Bible commentary. I got 417 million hits. Million. Not thousand, not 417. 417 million hits. So there are millions, literally millions of resources out there today for us. There's, and there's Facebook pages and YouTube videos and even books that proclaim to be the truth. But I tell you to be careful. Be very careful. Does what you're reading or what you're watching or what you're listening to line up with all of this? Because we know that this is good. Does it line up with all of it? Not just a verse or two that's cherry picked out of it. Because I'll tell you, I have people come to my door in ties and little black name tags, and I love them. And they'll, they'll cherry pick a verse out of Isaiah or a verse out of John or a verse out of somewhere else. And they'll explain the whole idea of what their concept is using one verse in the Bible. But it doesn't line up with all of it. So if you don't, if what you're reading doesn't line up with everything in here, if there's something wrong with it, then maybe it's really not good for you. It's not good bread. Maybe it's stale or it's got a little bit of green junk on it. And maybe you need to toss it. Make sure it lines up. You know, have you bounced your ideas off somebody else? I got a book that somebody wants me to read about a certain portion of the Bible. I've read about four pages of it, in the middle, by the way. And then I took that book to somebody else I knew that has studied the topic the book is on. Last night, I took it to a, a pastor. He asked my wife. She was there. I said, have you read this book? He said, yeah, I've read it. I said, I read a few pages of it, and it looks pretty surface level to me. He says, yeah, it is, but it's pretty good when you get into it. I trust that guy. So I'm going to go ahead and read the book anyway and then see what it says for me. But that's, that's what I do. If it's a book 
or or somebody says, hey, go li go listen to this people sing on YouTube, and I'll listen to it, and it, it, I better be able to understand the words, number one, because if I can't, I'm just going to shut it off. Um, but then I want to know, do those words line up with the word of God? Sam, when he picks the songs, like that last one, that was that was outstanding. Does it line up with the word of God? Does it edify you? Does, does, it, does it bring you into the presence of God? Does it help you renew your spirit? Does it refresh you? Make sure it does. If you feel hinky about it at all, I mean, you're welcome to bring me anything you, you listen to or anybody you listen to. I'd be happy to. I'm retired, so I, I got time during the week. I, I can take 10 or 15 minutes and read something or, or listen to somebody talk and, and give you my, you know, my semi-non-expert opinion on it. Um, I'd be happy to do that for you guys. And I, there's other people who will, too. But, I mean, because that's what the Fellowship of the Believers is kind of all about. I mean, it's not just about getting together and snacking down on your favorite, you know, Tostitos pizza rolls or anything like that. It's really about snacking down on this. Okay? It's talking about the Word of God. That's what the Fellowship of the Believers is all about. And that's why when we have the Bible studies in our church, we sit down and we talk about what? What do we talk about on Friday mornings, Diana? We talk about what? God's Word. We have our Bibles out in front of us, and we're reading the verses as we go along. We're talking about God's Word. We're discussing what's important, what satisfies us truly inside of us, what satisfies our soul, our spirit. That's what we're talking about. And we eat donuts, too. So it's really cool. You get everything fed. Um, and then the more you do that, the more God is going to allow you to become that Berean that says, oh, as you read this, wait a second, that doesn't sound quite right to me. You're going to be able to more pick out the counterfeit. That's what bank tellers do. They handle so much money every day that they're just used to handling money. And the, and the counterfeit goes, whoa, wait, that didn't feel right. They're not even maybe even looking at it, but it just didn't feel right. And they can pick out that counterfeit word. So our bill, and, and that's the same thing for us. We can pick out the counterfeit word. Then it says, finally, Isaiah says here at the last of verse two, he says, and delight ourselves, we should delight ourselves in rich food. The Hebrew word, and I didn't know that I would do that today, get into the Hebrew word for anything, but I'm going to because I think it's really cool um, because sometimes rich food, I, you know, what does that really mean for us? Anyway, that word is the word deshen, which is also translated as fatness or abundance, okay? And he's back there shaking his head up and down because that's abundance, and it's an abundance. So let's read that. We should delight ourselves in abundance. In other words, we can spend time in God's word, and we've talked, you know, we're going to do that, and you're going to make that effort to discern the truth versus the error but if you haven't prepared your heart to be teachable, you'll never be able to delight in the abundance that he has for us by spending time in his book. So pray before you read. Share the things you learn. We're not all called to preach or to teach. We're all called to share. And I told you I'd get done early. So I just want to encourage you, spend time that's what we need to do. Labor diligently 
If you need to spend money, spend money. Spend your time, though, on the things that will satisfy. Yeah, your physical needs, we have to do that. But spiritual needs, we need to spend time on that, absolutely. And I told you last noon, and it is noon. And I knew this wasn't going to, but it's so much in here that sometimes I thought if I kept going to verse 3, we'd be here for a while because we're going to talk about David. (laughs) And so I, I just thought maybe we'll just stop right there. I just encourage you, take time to refresh God in your life every day. I'm not very good at it. I'm not very good at it. Um, and I don't always have my heart right when I sit down to read. Sometimes I'm just doing it out of, di- out of duty and not diligence. Um, take take those, that time to do those things which you know will satisfy you, which you know are better than your morning cup of coffee, which I truly love. And, and spend time in his word every day. You'll be able to see his mercies being new to you every morning if you do that with him every day. If you're not spending time with him every day, you're never going to know his mercies are new to you. You're never going to see his faithfulness to you. You're never going to understand what he can and will do, and you're never ultimately going to get everything he can be in your lives. You've been listening to the preaching ministry of Pastor Sherman Burkhead, a production of First Baptist Church in Boron, California. Our website address is fbcboron.org. And would you please consider partnering with us financially as we work to share the hope and the gospel of Jesus Christ with our community and our world.